On this episode of Comedy Rewind, what makes Death at a Funeral such an underrated comedy? Is this movie more sophisticated British humour or Farrelly Brothers style slapstick? Did Alan Tudyk deserve some kind of award for his hallucinating naked ranting? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on guys? Welcome back to 8-Bits Comedy Rewind. We are powered by Audio Technica as we rewatch the great comedies of the 1990s and 2000s. I'm your host, John Peck, and joining me, a man who's had his fair share of hallucinations, Matt Neal. How you doing? Oh, good, John. That's not the intro I was expecting, but I, I'm not going to argue with it. Thank you. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard some of the stories. Yeah, there's been some stories. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's good to, good to be back at the old... Uh, the band back together, so to speak. Yes, uh, we had a podcast back in the day. Uh, it did so many years seven ago. Years ago. Is seven is it really? Mm. Wow. Yeah, I was recently doing a thing for Audio Technica where they, like, on their Instagram, where you'd like respond to questions and record like a story, and one of them was about like your first podcasting setup. <laughs> so I had to say, oh yeah, it was with this iRig microphone that you just plugged into an iPhone. And we just sat it on the table and we all sat around the desk and talked into the one mic. It worked reasonably well for the yeah. time. I we never had any complaints. No, and we didn't. it was I I said it was the it was all like the editing did all the heavy lifting where I just like boosted everyone and like compressed it and yeah. made it sound like pretty professional yeah. for what it was. I yeah. still have that microphone somewhere actually. Oh really? Yeah, really. You stole it from uh, I, our former employee. No one needed it and I took it with me <laughs> there you go there yeah you go. we probably should edit this so bit you out. can <laughs> uh, they don't want to listen to this no they won't super terrific happy hour if you want to go back and hear some 2014-15 era discussions about film and music and tv but uh we're here today to talk about death at a funeral and this is a good one matt i'm, I'm glad i got you here for this because you've got a little bit of um bit of skin in the game with one of the the stars here your old friend alan tudyk yes i think you you taught me how to pronounce his name uh <laughs> well it's it's tudyk yeah, yeah tudyk yeah. yeah um yeah i had i got to one of my favorite interviews i've ever done in person was with him when he because he was in warnable of all things and mm-hmm. working at a you know, country newspaper, you don't expect to interview someone <laughs> of the caliber of Alan Tudyk. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it was, I got to sit in his trailer with him. I think I only had 15 minutes. I think it was very specified that I only yeah. had this really limited amount of time. But um, yeah, it was, he was really gracious and, and fun and funny. And I was just, I think the whole time I was just blown away that, that I was sitting in, a car park in Warrnambool in a trailer with Alan Tudyk. And I couldn't really focus much on anything else. It was actually, uh, you know, asking questions and things, but I think I did. Yeah, it's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. This is the film that like, I think where I, where I really started paying attention to him. I'd seen him in a heap of stuff beforehand, but he only had like little mm. bit roles, but this is the one where he really sort of jumped off the screen at me, I think. Yeah, I don't think I knew who he was when I watched it. And if I did, it was like, oh, that's the... I kind of recognize that guy. He is one of those, like, that guy actors. Yeah, I, th- I think he was bef- until this film, yes. I think, yeah. 
Possibly, yeah. I mean, in, unless you're like a mega fan of one of the things that he's been in, like Firefly or A Knight's Tale or whatever it might be, like Dodgeball. Dodgeball. We just did Dodgeball last week, so we're this is like the second Alan Tudyk <laughs> film in a row in some ways. Um, and I'd forgotten that he was in Dodgeball to be honest well, yeah, before I rewatched same. it. because yeah. <laughs> um, he, I guess he was that like character actor that blends into a role so well and does whatever he's needed to do. In this film, he's got a British accent and really nails it. But um, yeah, just uh, a, a guy who he's he's doing kind of more voice work lately than anything else, which we'll get into. But this is is one of those films where, like, when you think of him, like this role in particular seems to come to mind because it's it's hard to forget. <laughs> he he steals the show, like it just hands down. He is the best thing in this film, and there's a lot of really good performances in here. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's probably maybe the first time I was kind of aware of Peter Dinklage as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's, and it's a really strong cast, but Tudyk is just steals every scene he's in. And I'm sure we'll talk about the, um, the re- the American remake of this at some point too, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen, but I've I watched the trailer and James Marsden, yeah. um, best known perhaps as Cyclops, is it in the X-Men movies? Yeah. yeah. Correct. Um, or Sonic the Hedgehog, whichever, wherever you're coming in on this. Um, <laughs> and just watching the trailer and he's in that role and it just it looks... It's wrong. It, yeah. He's not selling it. Like he doesn't seem as full on invested and delivering in the same way that Tudyk is in the mm. original. It's, yeah, it's crazy. He's, he's way too handsome as well, James Marston. Like this is a British film and... British people for whatever I guess they they don't like have the same standards for beauty that a Hollywood movie has when they cast their Oh, this is getting incredibly actors. racist. <laughs> is it <laughs> no. I, I just think they go for they just go for people who look like ordinary people, you know. Well, they, like they cast for talent over looks, is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. The way yeah, it exactly. should be. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But uh, James Marston, he's way too handsome to to pull it off. <laughs> I don't know. I'm that holding that... his handsomeness against. Okay, him. I don't know. That's the issue here, but sure. Okay. If we're talking just about the performance, though, like, why why couldn't Alan Tudyk be nominated for an Oscar for this movie? Like, he's so good in this performance. I think he's got a harder job here to do than like Leonardo DiCaprio does for some of the movies where he's nominated. You know, like. He just sells it perfectly the whole time. At each of the different stages of his hallucination, it's completely believable the whole way. Yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah. His his trip, he really sells. Do you know? Um, I was looking at this actually. Who he would have been up against for okay. best supporting actor? He would have been up against Javier Bardem for No Country for Old Men. Okay, that's quite a role. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know that he's going to stand a chance there, really. But to be nominated would be just—it's just nice to be nominated, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you have like memories or personal experiences with this movie over the years? Uh, n- as far as like the first time you saw it or anything? No, I know that I watched it. I reviewed it uh, when it came out on DVD. It was one of my. Mm. D- I used to do. I would do a review two films a week. I'd review one at the cinema and one on DVD. And this was my DVD review for whatever week it was when I watched it. That's all I know. But, um, and I know I gave it, how many stars? I gave it four out of five, which I'd, I still oh, would yeah. today. I think it's, um, 
And I th- and I from memory, I think it was in my top films of the year. It would have been like in my top ten films of the year, along with mm. like No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood and Juno. They're the only ones I can kind of think of off the top of my head. But yeah, Death of the Funeral was definitely one of the best films of that year, uh, easily. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I also watched it on DVD. I remember that. I remember thinking it was quite hilarious and very British. Uh, that's hard to to miss with a film like <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, like yeah. it's, uh, I've I've stated already. You know, the the cast just everyone just feels so British. <laughs> Even Alan Tudyk, who I possibly would have just assumed that he was when I saw this. Yeah, I don't think I realized he was American. Um, until later on, I went, oh, hang on, this is a guy that's out of that Transformers movie, and and hey, he's in A Knight's Tale, oh, which, yeah, where he has a British accent as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think I, I assumed he was British up until this point. But mm. have, had you rewatched this before, like, before this? I think so. I think I may have watched it again in, like, maybe, like, you know, 10 years ago or something. And this is a, a movie that, like, Hannah's family, my wife, like... I think they grew up with like five or six DVDs that they would just watch a lot. Dodgeball was one of them. This was one of them. It was the best, it was the best of Alan Tudyk collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know this because it's like the movies that her dad references all the time. Me, myself and Irene, Dumb and Dumber. Like there's just a handful of them. And they'd always, he'd always talk about how funny this movie is when the guy's up on the roof or whatever. And throwing in some quotes here and there yeah so uh it, it certainly resonated with with people that did see it but i don't know if a lot like it's not a movie that everyone's seen i don't think no it, I, I i don't think it was like a massive box office hit or anything and it feels like one of those films that a lot of people did see on dvd you know like it, yep. it, it that's where its life kind of came from but it's funny like one of our former bosses um was quite fond of of um, dropping an Alan, Alan Tudyk line from this where he would, would pretend to be befuddled and go, so, was there a dog in here? And that would that was his like go-to reference okay. for, for being like pretending you're high or like befuddled or yeah. And it was, and it was from this film. So uh, that's the only there real piece of like currency that like had <laughs> of other people referencing the film to me. It was, was from that. So yeah, I don't know what that mm. means. There you go. So it did make $46 million off a $9 million budget. So, you know, not but not bad, certainly like profitable, but not like dodgeball money or anything like that. <laughs> That's our benchmark, is it dodgeball money? <laughs> well, I just did dodgeball. Yeah, yeah. No, for, I mean, for, but, you know. for a film, indie film, like it's it's all pretty much one set. Like you would, yes. you would be able to film it. Uh, it's, it looks like it's filmed in an actual house. It doesn't look like sets um yeah yeah so they might have cheated a little bit with it but uh, yeah it's um, nine million like if you make a film for nine million these days you're doing pretty well but that's a pretty good response like you know turnover for it really but i mean the, the thing that actually amazed me about this film and i only i knew it had been remade as an american film but it was actually it's actually been remade three times in different languages oh like there's really? two different Indian versions in different languages, like a Hindi version, <laughs> and then there's another version. Um, and they were all done within the space of like three years, which makes me think that this film really did have a pretty massive following in a short period of time, enough that people are going, this is really good. Mm. We should, we need to do this for our audience. 
like there's something weird going on there for a film like the office yeah i guess so they've like the office has been made in like 12 different countries yeah yeah it's something about it that has really resonated with just you know enough people to go we need to remake this many times but yeah it's i've never heard anyone say a bad word about it really yeah maybe it is just how simple it is to make the movie itself with like one set or one and a half sets. But, you know? Yeah, potentially. And, and it's probably really attractive to a cast as well because I know that... Um, <laughs> God, I don't want to have to don't want to have to do this, but I remember when I was talking to Alan Tudyk, right? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> but one of the, I asked, I did ask him about this film and I said, oh, what was, you know, what would, it made you want to do the film? And he, and he said that it, it's because it felt like, it felt like a play. A play. Yeah, yeah, and because they would when they all sit around and do, you know, that we did script rehearsals beforehand, and all the all the rehearsals that just it seemed really funny. But he could just tell right off the bat, like from the script, that it was going to be hmm. a really good actors' film because you you've got a massive cast, no parts really dominate more than others. Um, you know, two dicks role dominates because of the way he plays it, I think, more than anything. Yeah, but you know, it, it's. If you are a producer and you, you've got great actors to work with, then this this kind of a script is perfect. Uh, actors just just jump over each other to try and get in one of these kind of films. Yeah, he did say in in your interview that it was his favorite film as well, oh, or his of, favorite role of the least. ones he done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he joked because he yeah. got to do nudity in it. That it was... yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You also included uh, the word a quiver in that. Uh interview which i thought was quite a nice little i did or he did for a, a, a regional no i think it was you all right yeah you, you said that his his um his plan to work on a sci-fi film would make firefly fans a quiver or something like that yeah i was trying to figure out what he, yeah when i interviewed <laughs> him he was talking about his next project was going to be some kind of sci-fi related thing that he had written i was trying mm. to figure out what it was so i I read it and you said that he would like to work on a sci-fi film and you also said that he was working on writing and producing something that he was going to star in, which my theory is that that turned into Con Man, yes, which that's... is a web series that I've been watching on Amazon recently uh, where he's essentially playing like a fictionalized version of himself. Yeah. Going to sci-fi conventions. Yep. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. Yep. He's great in that, by the way. I'm... Uh, I will check that out. Yeah. I know I've been meaning yeah, sure. to for, for six years since it came out. Yeah. So Rotten Tomatoes, we're gonna guess the score here, Matt. But I first wanna ask, do you since I've got you here, what's your most significant moment as a critic on Rotten Tomatoes? Is this a trick so you can ask me still... about the Matrix sequels again? Or... No, no, no. <laughs> This is. I want to see if it's if it, if you remember this moment in in Rotten Tomatoes history, uh, if it still sticks out in your memory. My most, uh, what I don't. I'm not sure what you what you're pointing to here. What the, what are you what are you getting at here? What am I trying to remember? The most, <laughs> I believe that that you caused a minor controversy by reviewing. Was it an Avengers movie and throwing DC fanboys under the bus? Uh, it was something like DC fanboys wish their movies were this good or something like that. And it just seemed to stoke the fires of like the the comic book wars. <laughs> I wrote a review for 
uh, I think it was for Captain America Civil War. Yeah, that's what it and was. And the headline I put on it was why Captain America Civil War is better than Batman versus Superman. Right. Because I could, because there were, there were massive similarities between the two films. Um, okay. And uh, so I just kind of, I tackled the review through that lens and yeah, DC fanboys came at me <laughs> massively. The only that time I've gotten more hate from a fan base is anytime I dissed a Transformers film. And I, I didn't realize that the, the, the Transformers fan mm-hmm. base was so fervent and angry. But yeah, and yeah, I remember both of those as like the online editor at the time and moderating the comments. It was very like, you clearly didn't grow up with this and stuff. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, I did actually. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think it was not long after that. It wasn't it wasn't because of me or because of that review, but they actually took comments off Rotten Tomatoes. Um, right. Not <laughs> it wasn't because of you. It definitely wasn't me. No, but it was because of it was because of Marvel films because because reviewers were uh, daring to give Marvel films bad reviews um, from previous screenings, and fanboys like the Marvel fanboys were worse than the DC ones. They were coming at reviewers and like doxing them and oh wow just all sorts of horrible stuff and you know and sending like through rotten tomatoes sending death threats and stuff like it's just ridiculous stuff particularly to female reviewers which just makes it even worse the some of the stuff that was coming through and rotten tomatoes just went you know what we don't need comments you know the world we're not gaining yeah. anything from this <laughs> Which is my response yeah. to like new- newspapers putting having put stuff on Facebook, <laughs> media organisations having to deal with the Facebook comments. It's just you know well, this isn't contributing to society. But anyway, we've gone it's off on a quite a tangent there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to guess where this one's sitting on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I may have seen this in my, the course okay. of my research, but it's it's like high sixties or something. It's sixty-two percent, mm. which I think is low. Like, it's I, way under. I'm surprised by that. I, I watched this and I, I sh- assumed that it would be like a critic's darling. Really, like it's sophisticated British humor. There's a lot of, I guess, that you could say there's a lot of slapstick in it, which there is. Mm. But uh, it works. I'm just surprised that they didn't dig it more. What's your take on that as a critic and of someone that's, uh, I guess, in that ecosystem of, of Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah, I, I was genuinely surprised. I mean, I just said high 60s and that seems under to me. Um, mm. but Because only just fresh. Yeah, because 60% is the threshold. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, really, I, I don't know why that is. I, don't, I can't quite fathom... Why? And I mean, you said it, like it, some of the humor is sophisticated, but some of it is pretty low. Like, you know, there's a bit where a dude gets shit on his hands. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and as far as yes. comedy goes, there's, you can't get much lower than that. That that's the funny thing. And then he's washing his hands on his, in his mouth, and it splatters over his face. Yeah, he gets shit in his yeah. mouth. Like, you, you can't get much more base okay. than that. I take back my uh, sophistication, British sophistication. <laughs> Yeah, because we, we we think about the you think about more like um, the lead roles of the brothers and them discussing the family yeah. politics and this kind of stuff and yeah that's yeah so may, maybe there's some very Hugh Granty like kinds of vibes with a lot of the you know the awkwardness and the the whole like running joke of this guy who's you know self conscious about his eulogy and wants his brother to do it like that's very 
British humor. Yeah. I think. The, yeah, the the feelings of, of inadequacy there. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, there's also running joke about you know a guy who's accidentally taken drugs. And I mean, yes. one of the things I didn't that I noticed this time around more is that there's a lot of those kind of like comedy cliches of like, um, you know, the sweary old man, um, mm-hmm. the accidental drug um, trip, you know, like which is in the Alan Tudyk film that I was interviewing him about, Oddball, there's a bit where someone is kind of accidentally hit with an animal tranquilizer. Yes. And, you know, th- so they act like, oh, I'm high, you know. Um, you know, that is a just a comedy cliche now. There's like, you know, the successful brother and the unsuccessful brother. There's the mother-in-law who doesn't uh, abide the daughter, you know, the, st- the daughter-in-law at all. And, and same with the overbearing father-in-law who's not mm-hmm. doesn't like the new boyfriend and all this kind of stuff like there's a lot of these kind of cliches through there that may and maybe this is what critics kind of latched onto was that oh you know there's too much you know lowbrow humor and some of the situations feel kind of cliched in a way but there's something you said before that is interesting you thought this would be a critical darling which makes me kind of think Usually when people say that it's at the expense of like the audiences might not dig it. Like, sure. so yeah. what, what are you, what is it about that? You think this film that you think is a critical darling, but maybe like the audience doesn't appreciate it. I guess. Cause it's like a cheaper film. It's indie. It hasn't got big stars like Rowan Atkinson's not in it. Hugh Grant's not in it. It's filmed for that lesser budget and it's dark. Like it's a dark comedy about death and a funeral and I feel like a I don't know maybe it's just my perception of how critics are that uh they they might go into it and appreciate that it's tackling this type of content I guess yeah yeah we like dark messed up things that explore the complexities of what it is to be a human exactly yes (laughs) exactly yeah but there's poo jokes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah. yeah I mean, but you, you, it's like Farrelly, there are some Farrelly brothers like influence on this movie. Definitely. Um, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's where it's come from. I don't, I, yeah, I don't know. Or maybe not like directly, but that style of comedy is yeah. here. Yeah. For sure. It's funny that you mentioned Hugh Grant and Rowan Atkinson, because I guess the thing you, you liken this to is Four Weddings and a Funeral mm-hmm. because it's British. There's a funeral. There's a big ensemble cast. <laughs> it's funny, but there's also like good character through lines. You know, like it, it, most of the characters have an arc that's interesting or, you know, good that's sort of going on. Um, so, I, yeah, I guess that's the film to kind of liken it to. And it's, but it's not the, it wasn't the smash hit that that was. But mm. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, enough to to get some foreign remakes with uh, did Chris they, Rock and, and Tracy Morgan. Did they remake Four Weddings and a Funeral? I feel like that's something that could have or should have been remade. Uh, it, there's a TV show that's just recently come out called Four Weddings and a Funeral, which right. I, so I guess they tackled it from a TV perspective. It's just we I can just think that, do it longer and more dragged yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> More, more weddings and more funerals. I don't know. <laughs> well, they should change the title then. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it has an Indian cast, like an Indian in, in British 
cast anyway. Okay. Uh, I haven't watched it. It's on Stan if you're out there in Australia land listening and want to check it out. Uh, so I've got actually some of the comments here from Rotten Tomatoes before we move on. So the critic at the London Evening Standard said, in the end, the knockabout humor totally destroys the glimmers of spiteful sophistication, which would have made it much funnier. So I guess that's speaking to what we said about, I guess, the uh, you know the slapstick overriding some of that spiteful sophistication, as he put it. Yeah, it's weird. There's like this undertone of... Um upper middle classness to the film that mm. maybe that doesn't quite get as explored as it could have like the you know this the family home is obviously quite nice there's uh, a certain Fair. level of money there but you know the brothers are squabbling over money um and there's this kind of uh you know the way they look down on drugs um the way they say, uh, it's said like twice, but they refer to like his dad was a gay, you know, like they don't, you know, the, the, not that he was gay, but he, what do you mean dad was a gay? You know, like it feels like this real like British middle upper class way of saying yeah. that someone's homosexual. Like uh, it just, that all you that You can kind imagine of... the queen saying that or Prince Charles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you mean Prince William is a gay? It's like, uh, yeah. So uh, there's maybe this kind of, that element to it that maybe isn't as explored as it could, but I, I don't know. The the script is so like just concise and punchy. It's like only like 90 oh, minutes yeah. or something. I think the film. It's less. It's like. 88. The I last think. the last 10 minutes is credits, I, I feel like. So it's like an 80, almost like an 82, 83 minute film. And the opening credits too, which go on for a bit, which are really Three cool minutes. with animated yeah. <laughs> Um, coffin going around everywhere. Yeah, it, it, it's there's not a wasted minute in this film. Like it is mm. really short, sharp, and punchy. So I, uh, yeah, I don't know this spiteful sophistication. I'm not quite sure where that's um, yeah going. But I think this this um, reviewer didn't approve of the poo jokes. Possibly <laughs> two out of five. They said. <sighs> I've got another review uh, from Hollywood Jesus and. Hollywood Jesus says Tudyk's comedic timing and drugged impersonations could have made the whole film, but Death at a Funeral offers a lot more than laughs, a lot more laughs than just acid trips. So I tend to fall more in line with Hollywood Jesus. All praise Hollywood Jesus. Yeah. All right. Feels like we're really deep into this to be going into these categories here, but uh, the number one song when this movie released, do you want to hazard any guesses what was hitting up the ARIA charts in February of 2007? February 2007. I'll say a much reviled artist. Is it Nickelback? In a lot of circles. <laughs> it's in. The, it's along those lines. Oh, Think worse. Worse. <laughs> like more one hit wonder than Nickelback. Oh, it's not Hinder, is it? It is Hinder. Is it Hinder's Lips of an Angel? Well done. It absolutely is. Wow. Which was number one for <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, which was number one for seven weeks over here. God. Somehow. Right. I don't know why and... I knew that. <laughs> I don't know how you guessed that, but um, I must have given you some good hints. Worse it's than Nickelback sandwiched... is the ultimate hint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's And it's sandwiched right in between Evermore, Light Surrounding You, and Silver Chair, Straight Lines, just to give right. a bit of Australian context. There you go. Okay. Yep. Good. 
yeah, so that's that's what was happening at the time. Uh, what have you done for me lately? I mentioned Alan Tudyk's Con Man, which was a few years ago, but I've just watched it recently. He's the Joker and some other characters in the Harley Quinn animated series, which I'm guessing you haven't seen, but you'd definitely dig it if you ever had a chance. Peter Dinklage, um, he's in a Amazon film called I Care a Lot, which is um, an interesting movie. I can't remember her name. The uh, the uh, Gone Girl, the leading Gone Girl. Do you remember? Uh, yeah. Um... Oh, her. Anyway. Yeah. No, I want to guess this. Amy. No. <laughs> Rosamund Pike. Rosamund yeah. Pike. Playing Amy. Yes. Oh, the character's name is Amy. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> so I, I close-ish. I don't feel I quite so bad now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he was in that um, as a as an interesting kind of mobster. So he he's had a great career since this, obviously with Game of Thrones, Elf, and some other quite iconic roles. But he's uh, in the upcoming Toxic Avenger film that I think's in post production. Are you aware of Toxic Avengers? Yeah, it's like one of the big trauma films of the eighties. Um, mm, what's trauma? Trauma was a st- I'm pretty it's pretty sure it's a trauma film. Trauma was a studio that kind of um, made its name in the eighties making schlocky horror films. Um, right, and in um, gave a lot of um, directors and their first start directing. I'm pretty sure James Gunn's first films were for Trauma. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm familiar with this. Yeah, I have read about that in the past. They used to do like really okay. crappy. So like Toxic Avenger, the, I've seen the first one of that and it's just really cheap. I mean, the makeup effects actually are pretty cool in it, but it's just this real cheap knockoff, like kind of superhero film. Um, mm. But they would do, they specialize in that kind of stuff. And I think they did like, I think they did Tromeo and Juliet, which was supposed to be like this okay. super gory kind of violent version of Romeo and Juliet. Anyway. Yeah. So oh, cool. They're make, remaking Toxic Avenger. There you go. Looks like it. It could be an animated thing. I don't know. I don't know much about it. Uh, Matthew McFadden, I don't know how to pronounce that, but he plays Daniel, like basically the lead of this film and was recently in the TV show Succession, which I've definitely heard a lot of people uh, into. Uh, Keely Hawes, who plays his love interest or his wife. fiance or girlfriend. And is it his wife? Is yeah. his wife yeah. in real life, I believe, too, actually. Okay, there you go. Mm. So she was in Finding Alice... Another TV series. She also and voiced the, Laura Lara Croft in, in um, some Tomb Raider games too. Oh, did she really? Yeah. There you go. I missed that. The last one I'll mention is Andy Nyman, who plays Howard in this film. He's I like I quite like his character. He's kind of he's the guy that gets the poop in his his mouth, um, for lack of of better description. <laughs> uh, he's in the Jungle Cruise movie, which you probably have seen on like Disney Plus as one of the like premiere titles with The Rock. Uh, so I guess in some places it's probably out of the movies, but you can also check him out in that. Okay, categories. Matt, what is the most 2000s moment of death at a funeral? Uh, or 2000s thing? I. It's probably the fact that the photos are printed out on photo paper. This, it's yeah, the only thing in the film. So... Um, I'm just going to tie a couple of your categories together here. You're going to ask me about like how sure. would social media and techno- modern, more modern technology change mm-hmm. things in this. Um, yeah. And the only thing I can think of, like the film is kind of timeless except for 
the predominant absence of mobile phones. Mm -hmm. So the photos being actually printed out, you know, in Kodak paper kind of thing is the only real giveaway of its timing really because you feel like they would show them on the phone. Now I've got photos yeah. of me and your dad. Hand over the phone and, and have a look at it that way. Um, that's the only kind of thing because there's... And, um, you know, and that that becomes a notable noticeable absence when Alan Tudyk's character is um, mid acid freak out and sitting on top of the roof, and there's not people there with their phone filming it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's the only thing. That, so that makes it the most two thousands thing is the fact that yeah, someone is ha, has actually printed out photos, which mm. which I have those from two thousand and eight. <laughs> is the last time I got photos printed out. So that feels like this movie came out wow. in 2007. So it feels like that was the end of that being a thing. That's funny. I mean, we still have photos printed out, but it's like pretty much only since we had a kid and like Hannah wants to like fill up an album or something. Oh yeah, but or someone like, gives it, you a photo frame for your birthday or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, instead of like the Kodak style, it's like you go to Kmart and print off like 300 photos for $4. Can you still do that? You can, yeah. You wow. take, go in there with your little USB, you plug it in, print them off. Right. And uh, it's a good good little gift for the grandparents just to say like, oh, here's a bunch of new photos from uh, from the collection or yeah. whatever. Well, there's Father's so Day sorted out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's certainly not like the easiest or simplest or most logical way to show someone pictures or something no it's is it, a very different is there anything else in there that is overtly of its time i couldn't really the haircuts there's lots of very <laughs> 2000s haircuts is there i don't know i still have the same haircut from the 90s so i don't want to judge but i didn't even notice that well think about like the brother robert he's got that long like middle part like he's a writer and he looks like this i don't know and then yeah, Alan Tudyk's... Like, he just looked like Matt Mercer. So, I just kind of thought like that's yeah, still so. a Hollywood thing. <laughs> like, uh, he's just come back from know. America. It's just, it's the um, British version of, this is how Americans do their hair when they come back to England right. to show their fame. He's like, you know. The cool guy yeah. with the long hair. That's rock it. star. <laughs> but no, there was, there was quite a few haircuts that I was just like, that, that feels like a very 2000s thing. Um, no, no, like fades or like you know nothing not that these are like the cutting edge of uh of fashion the types of characters we have here but uh it it did strike me the um the haircuts certainly well it dodges the fashion thing that dates a lot of films because everyone's in suits because they're at weddings yeah so that helps it uh be pretty timeless as well i think Mm. yeah you're right uh oh and also the brother is it Rupert, the guy played by, played by Rupert Graves? Um, Sorry, Rob. No, no, that's Robert. Uh, who's the Who's the guy that actually has all the drugs that oh, Chris, people are? He's called Tro- Troy, Troy. Chris Marshall's character. Yeah. yeah. So his haircut was kind of very two thousands as well. I thought, but hey, who am I to judge? <laughs> <laughs> he was one of the other. Like, there's a lot of faces you kind of recognize from stuff. He's in a TV show that's always on one of my parents' place. About a, right. a British cop in like the West Indies or somewhere, Death in Paradise. Oh, yeah, that's okay. it. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of the a lot of the actors are like, uh, like you recognize them from something. 
Yeah, you and Bremner's in there from from Train Spotting, is the other yeah. one too. Yeah. Yeah, looking like a a guy that could have been in like a eighties punk band to me. Like he's like when I say like people in Britain British movies look different. Like <laughs> a guy that looks like him, I don't think would be in like the American version of this. If they probably they probably cast like you know Kevin Klein or, or like someone like that. I th- Kevin Klein, wow, that's a deep cut. Um, <laughs> I feel like Ewan Bremner, if he was an American, he would only turn up as like gangster henchman kind of guys. Like that's the only kind of roles he would get would be like low level criminals or druggies, basically. I think that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Or British guy. <laughs> Token British guy. He could play a British guy in an American movie. All right. Uh, most iconic scene. I think if it's if it's not Alan Tudyk naked tripping out on the roof, well, then what is it? <laughs> well, you just answered your own question there. It's that. Yeah. So, what's this, the second most iconic scene? The second, yeah, it's the coffin like falling over. It's the coffin Pick your flop. Time. Like the f- f- <laughs> the coffin flop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I think it's it's that or it's wrestling peter dinklage to the ground and tying him up with <laughs> curtain ropes and then stuffing him full of hallucinogenics yeah i think that's it that's it yeah i think it's hard to like the the lasting image of this film is alan tudyk up on the roof like as someone that i said before i haven't probably watched it for 10 years like that's the thing that i always think of yeah is his white pasty body up there on the screen <laughs> yeah um and it's hard to think of anything else but yeah the coffin falling over not once but twice in the course of this or does it fall over twice or is it just once and then the second time a, a dwarf pops out of it because both times are pretty memorable it f- yeah it falls over once towards the start and then later on it's it kind of pops open and just drug crazed peter dinklage pops out of it which is one of my favorite images out of that because he just looks like he looks fully cooked you know his eyes are bloodshot (laughs) and he pops up like a moment out of a horror film it's great and we we haven't mentioned yet once who directed this film Jono. tell me who directed this film frank oz master yoda yes direct this film i did (laughs) he like he's a, a really solid director of comedies, and but I th- and this is maybe his best. It's the last film. movie he's done. It, it, he hasn't yeah. directed anything since then. Not any yeah. feature films, anyway. I think he kind of directed that Muppet Guys Talking doco. Um, okay. A couple of years ago, but you know, his films he makes these really good kind of above average comedies I'd say they don't necessarily hit it out of the park things like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and In and Out um, Bowfinger you know like they're all really love Bowfinger good solid comedies and this is definitely very much in, in keeping with his um, you know resume of, of, of comedy that it's you know it's not going to be I don't think it's ever going to be regarded as one of the great you know 50 great comedies of all time but it's really really good and it just Frank Oz just has Mm -hmm. this great timing unobtrusive director that lets the script and the actors do the work you know like Mm. even just watching the the trailer of the 2010 remake that's got Chris Rock in it and all that crew you can see 
the way the shots are framed because it's really really faithful you can tell how close they've been just from the trailer but the way shots are framed and the and the way lines are delivered you can kind of see coming back to this one how frank oz lets people go and how he frames things and how he times things and that's why he's really good like comedy director very well put okay uh what holds up the best I had just like the basic plot of this movie. It's a really, to me, simple but interesting idea. Like, what? How, imagine if it was a funeral, but then there's a death at the funeral. Like, you know, like the, the whole concept of like the dad and then like the gay lover and the madness that would ensue. It, that in itself is just a. I think that's part of the appeal to those international remakes is that like it's just a really simple idea that works. And I think that that still holds up really well. Yeah, and a lot of it, that all it comes down to the script and it being, yeah. you know, uh, the idea of that you know you it's not enough to put your protagonist in a tree; you have to throw rocks at them as well while they're up there. Mm-hmm. And that this the way it just piles on things and bad scenarios and bad situations for every character in there, basically, or certainly all the main male characters, anyway. Um, all the female characters are just sort of left to uh, look confused at what the men are doing, I think. Yeah. Like there's maybe, it'd be nice if some of the female roles were a bit, a little bit, bit better developed. Um, I think uh, Alan Tudyk's partner, Martha, played by Daisy Donovan. Daisy Donovan. Um, her she's character- got the most to work with. Sorry? She's got the most to work with and she's got- She's yeah. got an actual like story. Like Alan Tudyk doesn't have an arc. She's got the arc yes. for, for that couple, and because he's just out of it. But aside from her, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and it's only an arc, really, kind of relative to the men in her life, really, which is another right. kind of yeah. thing. You know, it's in relation to her dad, and it's in relation to her boyfriend, and how those two connect. But um, and it's also in relation to your Bremner's character, who is a one night stand, who is just utterly besotted with her so much that he follows her to a funeral <laughs> but all of these little plot threads of um you know the the one night stand who follows someone to a funeral the um the boyfriend who wants to impress a dad but accidentally takes hallucinogenics like all of these bits that are in there the plot like as we said before the script doesn't waste a minute um mm. and that is the thing that holds up the best for me is just that that script is so concise and so punchy and gets every available laugh out of every possible situation and all blended together with a cast that I can't really fault. Like, you know, as we said, there's not no real big names in it. Like Alan Tudyk is probably the biggest name in it. And that's really partly I think Peter Dinklage afterwards. has surpassed him. Yeah, I, now. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they're they're the, the two names now, but you know that's something that's yeah. kind of like post after the fact anyway. But yes, it is. At the I time when the film came out, it probably wasn't. There was no really big names. No, I think Peter Dinklage was similar to Alan Tudyk, where it was like, oh, it's that guy, it's that dwarf actor that pops up now and then. Like I don't know when Elf came out, if it was before or after this, but uh, that's probably the other thing that he may have been known for at the time. I feel like it was the same year, maybe. Yeah, had the station agent. The station agent had come out before that. That was kind of part of his breakthrough. Actually, the same year as Elf, two thousand and three. 
he was sort of popping right, up in a go. lot of things yeah before that so um maybe and he's not in in bruges it's not him in in bruges i just want to point that out to people um <laughs> that's a thing but um is that a thing? it is there's another small st- statured actor in that who looks kind of like Peter Dinklage, but it actually is. Anyway, that's the whole thing. Um, yeah, I think so. The answer is the script and the cast, I think, is the thing that holds yeah. up the most about it. it because it is such a great collection of ideas, um, which is probably why the American remake didn't change very much at all. It's actually quite faithful, is because all the comedic plot ideas that are in all those different strands converging in one place is Mm. really really well compacted delivered and put together yeah yeah i don't know if i've seen i don't think i ever saw it the american one but i might wait another 10 years uh, and watch it (laughs) yeah then we can review it for this podcast yeah Yeah. um something i want to just touch on while the frank oz while your Frank Oz comments are still somewhat fresh is the way he lets some things linger. Um, like for example, when Howard leaves the the study after thinking that he's killed uh, Peter Dinklage's character named Peter, how he just has that stupid cheese eating grin on his face at a funeral, it's completely out of place. And he walks across like the entire room past like 30 people saying excuse me and walking through that it just goes like way longer than i think most people would let it yeah as he makes his way across and it just gets more and more uh, uncomfortable and out of place and that has to be something that where the director uh, i guess made the call for it to last that long and it it's a it's a good move and not i think one that everyone would have would have done yeah i think that yeah he, d- he doesn't he kind of cuts back and forth between the people watching him coming yeah it's yeah and again yeah that's kind of what i was sort of getting at before was the way he lets just lets the actors have enough time he doesn't busy it up with different with different shots a lot it's just giving the story and and the and the script and the actors just you know time to deliver everything properly there's a lot of times too the similar thing during um, a lot of Alan Tudyk's freak out sort of moments where he lets them go like just long enough and that you probably could have cut it shorter, but it just keeps, the longer it goes, the more uncomfortable it is. And it's that kind of British awkward humor mm-hmm. that uh, works so well. I mean, you know, Frank Oz is American, but um, it's definitely in that same vein of... Uh, almost cringe comedy in some places, but not quite getting mm-hmm. there. This is pre-office, but it's definitely, it feels like it. You know, like that, that Howard character with his, you know, cheating yeah. grin as he walks across the room. But the way he just kind of pesters everyone, you just, you hate the character, but it's so yeah. well delivered. <laughs> um, but again, with you know. Skin condition, yeah. Oh yeah, this discoloration on my, on my wrist. You know, he... It, Frank Oz lets him go a lot too like those scenes feel like they really stretch out to the point of uncomfortableness and that's another uh, yeah another example of that that I think yeah is what really helps build the the comedy of it all Mm. this is definitely post office Um, the post office office is it yeah well not not post office but (laughs) 
post <laughs> The Office. <laughs> really? Um, 2001 was uh, the first season of The British oh. Office, I believe, or 2002. So wow. it took them a few years for the uh, American one to come over. So that might be what's jogging it in your memory. Who Maybe, knows? yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, I probably did watch The Office in like 03, 04. Yeah, right. Yeah. There you go. Okay, well, it doesn't fully delve into that kind of thing, but it could have it could have quite easily gone further with that kind of stuff, I think. But it yeah. it kind of reaches a, 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 what I would think a, like a, a happy medium of that of yeah. pushing things just just far enough without just sure. lingering on it too long, you know. So, what holds up the worst? I'll, I'll go first. Uh, you mentioned the long animated intro, and I think long animated intros just don't hold up in today's day and age where it's so easy to skip stuff on uh you know streaming and that kind of thing i know you're a purist you probably sat through them but i didn't i skipped it and it's it's films like city slickers and you know like i i remember these movies having these long intros of like animated characters doing things with the credits popping up and it's just like get to the movie like it's, it feels like padding when this is only a 90 minute movie or an 80 minute movie. If you took away those three minutes, it's suddenly like a 78, 79 minute film. So uh, yeah, it, it doesn't, didn't do much for me just watching the coffin fly around the, the British Melways or whatever they call it. <laughs> Britways. Um, Re- rebuttal. Yeah. Look, I've been watching a lot of old, old films lately. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of always struck by the thing that opening credits, I feel like opening credits don't really, don't, I feel like opening credits don't really exist anymore. You know, films just kind of, they show the title get, and then we're just in the film. Get to the point. Yeah. I was actually. It, if it wasn't, if it wasn't an animated thing, it was like three minutes of shots of Los Angeles or three minutes of shots of Chicago or Toronto or whatever or a, it is yeah, to set the a, scene. Yeah. Busy street. Here's people walking. Here's some cars. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I was actually kind of surprised when it, when it, when the opening credits came up and I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. Like it is, as far as opening credits scenes go, it feels vaguely iconic in a way like you know the watching the little coffin go around and then go the wrong way down the street and then back up and you know i kind of <laughs> like that it's a cute gag um but uh, yeah as i was sort of watching i was thinking wait do we still have like opening credit sequences in 2007 i thought we'd done away with them by then because everyone's attention spans <laughs> had died by then it's 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 definitely a relic of a bygone era yeah. you know uh, yeah. It's really jarring when you go back, like I said, City Slickers or something, where it is like even longer, like four minutes. And mm. it's, it might be a cartoon character doing, like in that one, it's a guy who's like, he's got a lasso and he's like throwing it around and it's it's not funny enough to just live on, it, on its own, I guess. One of my, and, f- one of my favorite yeah. opening credits um, sequences um, there's not a James Bond one um, from when I was a kid it's from The Great Muppet Caper which is the second feature length Muppet movie which mm. Frank Oz um, I don't think he directed that one he directed the one after that but I think he was like a producer on this on this one but it has, it's great it has um, Kermit Fozzie and Gonzo in a hot air balloon uh, like falling slowly dropping through the, the sky 
um, and the credits kind of come up and they, they're discussing the credits as they appear. And like, you know, right. sure, sure was a lot of people worked on this movie kind of thing. Yeah. Sorry. Sure was a lot of people who worked on this movie. Um, and then, you know, and they kind of go through and, you know, kind of poke fun at it a little bit. And um, I, there's a, I think there's still a place to do that kind of thing, that postmodern yeah. treatment of it. And it feels like Frank Oz couldn't just have a normal, you know, opening credits. There has to be a little weird thing. And I've I've found myself watching the coffin go. I knew I could skip it, but I still found myself watching it, waiting for like little things to happen. Like it speeds up in one bit, and it's like when you used to watch the um, the screensaver bounce around the screen and wait for it to hit the corner. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's uh, not really anyway. selling it as, as no, I'm not, up well. I'm not, no, <laughs> but you're right. Like if if they can and occasionally they it'll happen where they will find some kind of entertaining way to keep my attention like the yeah. super bad intro which is the silhouettes of michael Sarah and jonah hill dancing like that is briefer or more yeah it's it's, it's shorter than this but it's also entertaining because they're dancing yep. and there's like the funk music playing or whatever and sometimes mm-hmm. there'll be an animated intro that is quite funny in that like Pixar kind of way, I guess. Yeah. So, okay. So there's a, there's, there's a place for it, but it has to be has to hold has to be actually doing something entertaining, not just a coffin that moves around. Okay. You know? can, can I put it to you then that that the fact that the the thing that hasn't held up, if this is the only thing you have on your list, is the opening credits, then I think this film's doing pretty well. There's one other thing. Okay, go on. What is it? So the start of the start of the movie, <laughs> the intro with the credits, and the end of the movie. With Uncle Alfie on the roof. <laughs> How did he get on the roof? This dude's in a wheelchair. Like, he can't even get onto the toilet by himself. And he's he's taken, like, uh, some kind of hallucinogenic and ended up on the roof naked. <laughs> uh, yeah, drugs can make everything in this do movie remarkable things. But, yeah, that's... <laughs> everything, everything in this movie is so, like, grounded and in, like, reality. Like, this dude probably couldn't even get dressed by himself. We couldn't even right, get to the toilet by himself. Exactly. He couldn't get off the toilet when they left him there for like half an hour. But he's climbing up onto the tip top of the roof. <laughs> it's funny. Somehow. I, didn't, I never, no that never occurred to me. <laughs> there you go. So the start of the movie and the end of the movie. <laughs> it did feel like a an easy joke at the end. Exactly. Uh, it's out yeah. of it's not in the spirit of the rest of the film to me but that's nitpicking because it's still funny yeah. uh, i guess that, that, i think it came down to like if it's funny enough then you can get away with it and it it works like the fact that yeah. you never noticed it shows that it works but with my nitpicking hat on that's uh that's what i came up with i don't know maybe like these hallucinogenic designer drugs that uh this character made He's actually inadvertently discovered a cure for paralysis. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> He's onto something. He's a that. pharmacist. He He's is. like studying to be a pharmacist. Exactly. I'm sure they weren't just uh, recreational use only, but yeah, it's pretty. So, what did you have for this for this category? I didn't actually have anything. I uh, there was nothing that That's really good. struck me as not holding up. Um, I. The the reference to um, the dad being quote a gay was mm-hmm. um, did f- like was felt a little jarring the first time I heard it and then I kind of went oh, that's 
And that's what made me think about this, like kind of upper middle class kind of, um, uh, you know, people who live in it in an enclosed kind mm-hmm. of world, perhaps, um, might yeah. speak that way. Is that a but, yeah. is that an offensive way to talk about a gay person? I don't, if I don't you were know. To call them a gay? Yeah. I don't know. It just feels like a kind of just feels antiquated in a way. Yeah, it's definitely antiquated. I don't know if it's offensive, which like leaks into our next question. Mm. Who would be the most offended? Like, it's not a really. It's a pretty inoffensive film, at least to 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 me. Uh, and they don't really like, even though there's like a dwarf in the in the main role. Like, there's not really jokes at his expense. Uh, which speaks to like it, it wasn't written the character wasn't written to be a dwarf Peter Dinklage just auditioned for it and they really liked him yeah um, there's there's only so, like one line that really is a a joke at uh, well it's not even at his expense it just notes that he's four foot tall I think and that mm-hmm. you know that's the only kind of thing but yeah I, it does feel like yeah like what you said that it, it could have been anyone of any height could have played that role um and it just happened that peter dinklage got the got the gig and doesn't and does an amazing job i'd say but after alan tudyk i'd say he's second best on ground in, in the film um, and he fits into the coffin quite easily since he is quite small yeah well well actually well that's okay so well that's maybe a thing that makes me think well maybe it actually was written that way then no i did read that he just auditioned for it oh is it really oh okay yeah it works really well then. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I don't. I don't think anyone's going to be really offended by this unless you're like just super duper straight and the idea of poo jokes, uh, people on drugs isn't funny. Um, mm. There's uh, the priest in it blasphemes at one point, doesn't he? Oh, he Did, does. Yeah, yeah. He does. That's the only which is really, which I found really funny. Um, and I think someone else says it. I think someone else says Christ to him as well, like or in, they, yeah, right the, in front the of the brothers him. are talking as he like approaches, and they drop a swear in the middle. Yeah, but, uh, he doesn't seem to flinch. <laughs> no, it, that's quite funny. I thought so, but that's but again, that's the only kind of thing I can think of where people would, um, you know, get offended. Cool. Uh, yeah. So we, we won't cancel this movie then. <laughs> have you had to cancel many? I haven't caught up on the last few. Have you uh, had to cancel many? Or hmm. no, nothing's been straight up like wow. There's been a few like if you made this now, it wouldn't have these jokes in it. Yeah. Um, Team America was probably the one that's like the biggest like yikes kind of thing, but uh, that's also South Park where they aim for that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I mean it's not South Park, but it's the South Park creators. Yeah, and th- yeah, there's certainly movies that have like very, like even Dodgeball. I, I said last week that the the approach of of P- uh, Peter Lafleur, Vince Vaughn's character, is very like antiquated as like the romantic lead and the way that he he's like almost just as sleazy as the villain Ben Stiller's character, but yep. because he's like because she's secretly into him, like he gets away with it. But I think now, today, it doesn't really hold up. But that's a side tangent. Go and listen to the Dodgeball podcast. It's funny because, well, the the skeezy character in this, uh, well, there's two, actually. There's uh, Ewan Bremner's character who yes. is in there to deliberately be, a, like, not a villain, but someone who is distasteful. Uh, yeah. And then the other one is the brother who comes back from New York and starts sort of cracking onto 
you know, like he sort of makes note of so a girl is like, you know, she used to be like 12. I haven't seen her since she was 12 or whatever. She's grown up now. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's only sort of in passing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, they're the only kind of, um, yeah. but, but, you know, certainly you and Bremner's character is deliberately made to be like just harassing, you know, he, he yeah, kisses and, and, you know, her, you know, when she obviously doesn't will, want yeah. to, um, but he's meant to be, Conf- you know like yeah he's meant to be a bad guy basically and so it, it's mm. the film still works it's not anything um yeah that ruins the film because it's supposed to be like that it's it's making yeah. a point that he's a jerk it's conflict yeah yeah an interesting thing like I, I just said to go back and listen to the dodgeball theme but i'll say it again like <laughs> the the difference between that character that you just described and vince vaughn is simply that vince vaughn is like six foot five and somewhat handsome so it's almost that thing like it's okay to harass a woman if you're handsome and that you think that they might actually like you and then it's just part of the like flirtation which like i guess was a way that people may have written characters in 2007 but you certainly wouldn't write it that way now i don't think Mm. does that make sense yes certainly not a you know romantic lead or you know your key protagonist whereas you know yeah uh, yeah, if you're writing a skeezy jerk, yeah, which is what it is in Death at a Funeral. Sure. All right. Does Death at a Funeral pass the internet relevancy test? I'm going to say no, not at all. I tried to find like GIFs for this and could not. It was very hard to find anything when I was trying to promote the podcast. It was like nothing, really. You, f- you, did find a- you found a Peter Dinklage one from it. Yeah, that was the only thing I could find. The rest of them were the American one or uh, just completely un- unrelated things. I even typed like Alan Tudyk naked and like, you know, Alan Tudyk funeral or Tudyk funeral and just like, yeah, nothing useful was coming up. So, uh, yeah, it hasn't really made its way into memes and everything, which is a shame because like there's some Alan Tudyk moments or facial expressions or whatever that I'm sure like would be great reactions to to be able to post on the tweets but uh this hasn't prolonged its uh relevancy in this way i think yeah i i think we're worse off for not having uh more alan tudyk uh gifs from this film also peter Mm. dinklage i think too and i think even some uh andy nyman as howard i think there's there's got to be some some Howard gifs that would have actually worked that really well. Grin. This. Yeah, the, the shit eating grin as he walks across the room in the middle of a funeral. Um, his reaction to having shit on his hands. Um, yeah, those things, I think. Yeah. And even um, Uncle Alfie potentially could have had a few, a few yeah. good ones. He's, he's good quality. Uh, which, you know, I think you've already touched on like modern smartphones and social media, how they might change this film. Not in a significant way. There'll just be more smartphones. Um, the question of could you make this film today and what would that look like? That's really the only thing that you would change, I think. Yeah, uh, but I even can't... then, you can still leave that out. Like, could I, I, f- I feel like um, it's been a while there's since no I've been... There's not really any... There's no teenagers in this film. It's missing... Like, it's a very, like... Like you said, like, middle, upper class event, like, no kids running around. Mm. No teenagers complaining about why is it taking so long. 
Yeah, it's very kind of split in its generations. There's the, the older crew, all the main characters, the sons of the the deceased and, and daughters of the deceased, are like, uh, I'd say in their thirties, but childless. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. everyone else is like sort of 50, 60. And it's very kind of defined that that's where it is. Um, so yeah, there's, so there's no kids. So I think the idea of not having, and I haven't been to a funeral for a long time, but I feel like you kind of, your phone, you kind of keep your phone away to a certain extent. Is that, is that still a thing? You know, it can't be like we whipping your phone out at, the, uh, at a funeral. What? I don't know. I don't know. I think people just whip their phones out everywhere. Yeah, now. I guess so. But it, like, it's this, like, this is a film where like, probably 80% of the movie is not the actual funeral. Like there's people standing around in between waiting for something to happen. True. Which is probably when they're looking at their phones. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, you, you could totally make this film now and I don't think a lot changes really. I mean, like I said before, it's reasonably timeless. There's nothing, there's no great kind of social upheaval or, um, social point of view or, or reliance on technology or something that would make it need updating. Like you could, yeah. I think if this film came out now as it is, you know, haircuts aside, <laughs> you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bat an eye at it. Like you, you wouldn't yeah. think it was from another time. I mean, it's only 13 years, but still, I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a lot of films that have aged far worse than this in 13 years. There is a certain, timelessness to it i think because of the way it's done because of the way it's filmed yeah it kind of dodges all of that sort of stuff yeah definitely can't disagree there it's time for the steve buscemi spark plug award steve buscemi a real spark plug and this is a tough one because there's only such a small cast we don't really have anyone who's just like popping up for a cameo and then leaving so i'm kind of changing the rules for this one in instead of like the spark plug it's more like who does the most with like the least and the nominees as far as i'm concerned are alan tudyk and peter vaughn as uncle alfie they probably have less lines than the other male characters but they both light it up in a way that you know, it's pretty much everything they say is hilarious. Uh, it's hard to go past Alan Tudyk, though. Yeah, I... From everything we've been saying up to now. It's the Alan Tudyk podcast, really. But yeah, absolutely. Welcome to Alan Tudyk Hour. Um, he's easily best on ground. Like, he just steals every scene he's in. There's so many scenes early on when he's like, his his trip is just starting to kick in. And there'll be two other characters there talking. It's mostly like Chris Marshall's Troy and um, Daisy Donovan's Martha. And they'll be uh-huh. talking in the sort of in the front bit. And Tudyk is just like <laughs> totally like gurning in the background or like fascinated. Patting a chicken, like a wire chicken. Yeah, like, like that. And it's great. Like he just every scene that he's in, he he steals with, without doing a huge amount. But you utterly believe that he is absolutely tripping balls. It's great. Mm. Um, but is he, but his role is kind of too big to be, you know, the spark plug, the cameo. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing about this movie is like everyone has similar sized roles. I mean, the male characters we've we've kind of talked about that discrepancy, but there's not really anyone. I guess the the like the vicar or whatever maybe, but he's not exactly like a a scene a scene stealer. Peter Dinklage, perhaps you could say, because he's much less. He's only in really a small amount yeah. of scenes, realistically. In terms of screen time, it's probably Peter Dinklage. I kind of yeah. wanted more out of the mum. Like, I think Jane Asher, maybe more could have been done with that character. She was quite funny when <laughs> she was offered a tea and she's like, it won't bring back the dead. Yeah, it's a great line. It's really <laughs> like, good. Like, okay, well, I guess you're not having a tea. It's the ultimate mother-in-law line. It's funny. Um, yeah. I, yeah. But I think in terms of like screen time her just awesomeness it's possibly sure. peter dinklage i think right, if that's how we're going to define dinklage. this yeah because tudyk sure. is just he just steals the whole film but he's in quite a lot of it and he's sure yeah i don't know that's where i'll go screen with screen time per awesomeness it is and it's yeah. peter dinklage <laughs> okay good that's the, that can be the All new right. definition for the um peter the um <laughs> peter buscemi steve buscemi um award uh, okay uh the last question on the list is is it still a good movie uh, we also had a comment from uh, my friend Benny McJanet on Twitter who said that this is a very underrated film. So I want to tackle those two ideas at once. Is it still a good movie? Is it underrated? I think we both agree it's still really good. You said before that you'd still give it four stars. Um, is it underrated? Uh, well, just on that Rotten Tomatoes score, I'd say it is. Mm. If if that's how we're looking at it. If... Um... Yeah, I think even like the the internet relevancy test, like yeah, as well, like it's definitely underrated. A part of me wonders if it's the Britishness of the film that it hasn't really, maybe because the American one didn't do as well or wasn't as good from what mm. I've, I've heard. Yeah, and maybe that kind of killed off this one a bit. I don't know. It's uh, yeah, uh, it it feels like it should have more currency now, and it. Um, like, yeah, I mean, like the internet, you know, meme worthy, GIF worthy, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess it is underrated. I, f- I feel like it's a film, actually, until you messaged me and said, oh, we're going to do Death at a Funeral for the podcast, it's probably not a film I've thought about a lot in the last mm. 10 years or, you know, 13 years since I'd seen it. But if anyone ever said to me, oh, is this film any good? I would absolutely go, yes, it's great. Um, so I, yeah, I guess it is underrated because people don't talk about it enough. Like if people think about the great comedies of the 2000s, I'd say it's definitely in there. Like it's definitely mm. worth, um, it's definitely worth rating. <laughs> so, sure. you know, it's like, it's definitely <laughs> underrated, I think. Yeah. Mm. It's almost got that, like, it's almost it, it. It almost feels like it deserves the cult following that some films, some other similar style films, should have. And I don't mean similar style like the movies themselves are actually alike, but like an office space or something where it's like, it's just like a good movie. It's got a good plot. It's got a great idea, great cast of performers, and memorable scenes. Like it's got all those elements that you just think, like, yeah, this should be something that's quoted and referenced, and it's not. It doesn't hasn't reached that level. And I don't know, don't know if it was like when it released, and the, you know, the types of movies. Like it's the same year as Superbad and Juno, and we've mentioned some of the films uh, already. But 
it's um yeah I I don't know what could have happened in an alternate universe to make this more current than than what it is. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. There's lots of it feels iconic, you know, like some of the scenes, you know, a lot of um, Alan Tudyk stuff where he's like naked uh, on top of the roof. Um, a lot of Peter Dinklage's stuff where he's like wrestling or jumping up and down on a couch and then knocking himself on out on a table or popping up out of the coffin. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bits in it that feel like they should be kind of etched a bit more into the pop culture collective mm-hmm. consciousness, but they're not. And it's, it, yeah, I feel like, it, yeah, it's, that's a really good way to put it that I think you're right that it, it those kind of, the, those kind of parts of it, it should be more of a cult film. It should have jumped out a lot more. It should feel like it's still relevant now to a certain number of people. Hmm. Maybe we're just hanging in the wrong crowds. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just that it's not quite at that like office space, Big Lebowski level of quality. Like you said before, it's it's a good film. It's not like it's a four star film. It's not a five star film. So maybe that's the difference, I guess. Yeah. So, and, but I'm and I'm not entirely sure what makes it a five star film. I think maybe it it's it over relies on cliches a little bit, so it just feels a little simple at times. Um, it's probably the only thing I can really think of that makes it, um, keeps it, so it holds it back a little bit, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's great script, great cast, all of those things. And yeah, there must be this, mm. this, maybe there is a, a cult of uh, death at a funeral out there somewhere. We just haven't found it yet. We should join that cult. I mean, I'm going to search for the can... subreddit now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll uncover the cult and you'll be able to talk about it on your podcast do you want to give it a little plug matt since that's somewhat relevant sure well if you've made it this far into the podcast you can uh, be rewarded with a plug for my own podcast it's called can you believe it it uh delves into i tell the story of the unexplained uh to a couple of my mates and we unpack whether they can believe it or not um that's the gist mm. of it yeah that's it it's a good listen do you want to give a couple of examples quickly uh so season three came out a few months ago we looked at a uh theory behind the assassination of jfk um one that i thought was was seemed reasonably believable and we pulled that apart we also looked at uh jeff the talking mongoose one of my favorite paranormal tales um what else we did we did the bloop the story behind uh the mysterious the loudest underwater sound ever recorded and um you know the theories that uh happened around that and the siege at hanobi which was where um sasquatches were uh making nightly attacks on a house in uh midwestern america um and yeah the story behind that one as well wild sounds wild it is wild to check that out yeah i have to check that out too well thank you Dear listeners, for joining us, as always, you can subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It's a great way to uh, to make sure you don't miss a thing. If you want to help us out, you, of course, can tell your friends how great we are. You can leave your five-star ratings and reviews in podcast services of choice, especially Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. You can support 8-Bit over at our Ko-fi page, ko-fi.com slash we are 8-Bit. 
from one dollar a month up to you know however many dollars you have and if you have enough dollars you can get into our 8-bit family portrait matt you'll appreciate this people who pay the uh the nominal fee will get immortalized as a star wars character and hey. there's gonna be a uh, a nice little drawing of yours truly as obi-wan kenobi uh coming out soon you may have seen that i've been tagged here and there but anyway uh you can also do all that nice stuff for matt's podcast too as far as the ratings and reviews matt where can people find you on the social medias if they want to tell you uh how, how how much they're looking forward to the next Matrix film. <laughs> uh, so on Twitter, I am at Dr. Matt Neal, D-R-M-A-T-T-N-E-A-L. Um, I've also got a Facebook um, page you can like now where I post a lot of my articles, a lot of film reviews, links to my podcasts, my various bands. Um, my book is getting republished in America in a couple of months time so you'll be able to find out where you can get a copy of Bay of Martyrs and that's going to be finally back in print um, and uh, yeah and my blog Movies Ate My Life um, is a place to find all my reviews and, and such as well perfect well you can catch me on the social medias at Jono himself Matt thanks for coming on the show Thanks, Johnny. And dear listeners, once again, we want to thank you for joining us on Comedy Rewind. Till next episode, be kind.